0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Shop. This podcast is for product businesses where I speak to both retail buyers, shopkeepers and brand owners about what it's really like to start and grow a retail business. My name is Therese. Hi. And my mission is to help you build a profitable and scalable business through wholesale. Today I'm going to be joined by Rebecca Pryor, who's the owner of award-winning Independent store, Prior Shop in Bristol, and her own independent brand called Prior Made. Rebecca's uh, centrally located shop is filled to the brim with 150 sustainable designers and brands, and a whopping 70% of them are based locally in Bristol or to Bristol. They operate as a non profit creative arts hub, an eco conscious retail shop, a workspace. And the gallery. So it's a little bit different than your regular independent shop, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Rebecca also works a little bit differently with her brands. I can't wait to find out more and dive in to uh, Prior Shop and Rebecca's journey on both the uh, brand side and a shop owner side. So let's get into it. Welcome, Rebecca, to Let's Talk Shop. Hi yeah. thanks
1: for having me. Oh, it's so like when you have like an intro like that, you ju- I just was like smiling from ear to ear and getting really like flushed. <laughs> <So> thank <laughs> you. That's such a lovely honestly such an amazing intro thanks
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you I I I find um I haven't quite got used to doing them like I have I want to say all the great things but I'm trying to feel like I need to keep them concise
1: (laughs) yeah of course of course so I think that's the hardest thing actually I mean diving straight in but I'm such an ideas person you know I'm anyone that knows me I'm always like I just get overexcited about everything um especially with sharing Opportunities and things and knowledge that I have, which means that we always run the risk of growing too big and too wide. Does that make sense? Mm, Yeah. And trying to do too many things, but I feel like I'm getting better, honing it down a little bit. How long have you had the businesses now? So. I've had the shop, prior shop was established in 2019. Originally, it was a small, tiny little shop, which kind of happened by accident, because I was looking for a bigger studio space. And a shop became available. And I thought, well, hey, why not? Why not? If I'm a product business, let's open a shop. And then that grew. And then we moved into Cabot Circus. And we've been there two years in September, which is an achievement in itself. But um... yeah,
0: the shop (laughs) visited the shop. It is big like mm. big F- by independent shop size and standard, standard I feel like it's probably like double or triple the size of your regular independent boutique
1: yeah yeah well it's um we I've, I've been sort of leaning actually calling us more of a superstore now yeah. because it really is I mean to fit that many makers in one place and quite a large selection of their work you know not just like one product of each of these makers and yeah as you kindly introed, we've got half of the downstairs Stair space is a an event and gallery space where we hold workshops and local exhibitions and book launches and talks and even dance classes on the second floor there is a huge stock room, huge, and then another second workshop space and my workshop. So even though the shop's been going, but, you know, it was established in 2009, I've been making my own products since 2011. I've, I've got a lot of experience both as a shop owner now, but predominantly as a, as a maker, and how I've been treated by shops, and how my work's been managed by shops, and what shops are looking for, and what's you know, it's it's a really really wonderful connection, you know, between the two.
0: When you had the fir- first realized, okay, I'm going to open a shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you envision it to be then? Like, what did you think? Okay, so how am I going to fill this shop? Basically, like, how did you decide to focus on working with the makers mm-hmm. like you do so do you know when you have
1: you go through life especially as a creative soul and you do so many jobs that seem completely unrelated and at times you're just like what am I doing you know what how is how is there a connection or a thread between all of these yeah again having a shop I have to admit it wasn't like on my plan but when I so I make work which is I'm really interested in very high end, very, very well executed, you know, will last a lifetime products that are made as sustainable and responsible as possible. And when I first started my business, there was a lots of lots of sort of businesses sort of starting the recycled kind of vibe, but it was very recycled chic, you know, it definitely Mm. looked recycled. And I was trying to say, well, actually, I want the design, I want it to be worthy of a design store. And actually be like, and did you know it's made of, you know, so when I had the shot, I thought there is definitely people that do this same kind of, you know, it's not just, and this is actually a thread that's taken me to Cabot as well. To Cabot Circus where the big shop is to have this merge of like design store with really innovative contemporary on trend beautifully made products beautiful packaging and supporting tra- like the creative tradespeople, and merging those styles and that ethos together I love so, that
0: <laughs> when I was growing up I remember like one of the shops where everything looks had made yeah. And your shop is so different from that, yeah.
1: which I love. It's um well it's it's hard to do as well. I think there's still even though there's so much more appreciation for handmade and especially local businesses, like so much more. And we we do have the pandemic to sort of thank for that to a certain extent. There is still this attitude of handmade work being lower quality and customers yeah. still don't quite trust it, you know, not mm. not as much as they would a big brand, even though it's ridiculous because yeah. people who make their work I'm far more likely to stress test it and make sure it's beautiful because they're so emotionally connected to it. But the trick is with having, especially prior as it is in Cabot Circus now, it really needs to compete with those giant brands. You know, directly next door to us is Oliver Bonus. On the other side is Fatface. Opposite is Ted Baker. We've got Apple two doors down and Harvey Nicks sort of six doors down. So it really has to stand out. And it was actually really... It's been a real learning curve for working with makers as well because I used my general database of me being a maker and meeting people along the way finding people at markets because obviously with so many years trading as a maker I've done markets all over the UK I've done so many different fairs
0: and
1: (laughs) at one point I stopped in 42 different independent shops some huge shops to really tiny shops I've done commissions for brand product launches all that kind of stuff so I had my own kind of network I suppose and then yeah just over time have it's almost been like a collaborative journey I feel and I hope the makers feel the same where we've realized that actually things like packaging in a shop like ours is almost as important if not more important sometimes than the product yeah and obviously pricing yeah there's so many things that every time I learn something new I share it with our group keep all that communication open you know so they can tell me what would improve and, and it's been amazing it's been really amazing
0: yeah being part of it Do you get lots of brands contacting you now wanting to be stocked in the shop yeah
1: loads loads and loads and it's like I always sort of say this it's like being that horrible feeling when you're at school and you're choosing like your sports team yeah honestly that's what it feels like and you know someone's going to be left out and it's really hard again with the shop that I have to and this is from all the, you know, workshops and podcasts I've listened to and video that and management courses, that you you have to find your brand identity and stick with it. And I think the reason why prior without blowing our own trumpet, but does look so beautiful when you go in is because there's a very clear aesthetic. And sometimes even though there's people who apply who whose work I think is brilliant and I and to to the point I even know it will sell. I know it will fly yeah. off the shelves, but I know as soon as I inject that into the shop, it will throw things off kilter a little bit. So yeah, it's really interesting that side of things. And I think full circle now, back to me saying about all the different jobs that I've done in yeah. the past. <laughs> uh, I've worked in galleries with curators. I've worked in loads of youth organisations as a youth leader. I've worked for the council doing sort of public art collaborative pieces around the city in different postcodes. I've also been a prop maker for theatre and public art installations. So there's lots of that that all kind of merge into this working with people, collaborative working, working together to make something that everybody is on board with and everyone is proud of. And that visual kind of merchandise to a certain extent, you know, my degree was actually art and visual culture which I find quite interesting now I'm running a shop sometimes, you know, like piecing it all together. It's
0: almost full circle with what your degree was without being buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it. It's hard
1: work. I mean, you know, you speak to any maker, shop owner, anyone in a the creative sector it's we're in it because we love it and we're passionate about it and it's the only way but i love it i get such a buzz honestly you know when we get makers featured in press like in the guardian or red magazine and all these things or someone famous has come into cabot and bought something i just love i I just straight away on on messages to these makers being like oh my god you know this happened (laughs) yeah
0: it's great (laughs) that is so good Uh because I think this is one thing that you do a bit differently because you work on kind of consignment basis, mm-hmm. right? Where people, uh, brands put their things in your shop and then when they sell, they get reports and stuff. But the w- time you put into making that work with regular reporting, because that's not always the case, mm-hmm. and like pitching to press and doing all these things, it just makes it much more of a two-way Relationship, I think.
1: Yeah, no, completely. And I think it's being, and I can only speak for my own personal opinion of, you know, stocking lots of shops, but there were shops that used to stock my work who ordered huge wholesale orders. And it was wonderful because it was a big order and I didn't have to think about it. But it had to be consistent, it had to be perfect, the pictures had to match, everything had to be, it was. Uh, it didn't take the soul out of it at all, but it had to be a very big batch production process. And then I stocked really good seller return shops who it was more about that relationship and the, they shared my brand and my story, whereas wholesale shops tended to just be like, Great, right, thanks, purchase, it's ours now. And then I, then actually, the majority of seller return shops, which is what we call this sort of assignment, you know, we sell it or return it. But so many shops had stocked which were awful, you know, they just, I handed over my work and I had no idea what I'd sold, wasn't ever paid on time, had no communication about if anything was damaged or customer feedback. Sometimes on the, even at best, I'd get an email saying sales and then just an amount. And I'm like, <laughs> what size, what color, what, you know, I, yeah. how does this work? And so when I had the opportunity to move to Cabot, there is no way I could afford To buy everyone's work, it's just the shop is enormous, but (laughs) and I sort of knew and wanted to, I suppose is is the main point of it at all. That if people were trusting me with their work and trusting me with their creations that they've spent hours on, not just finance, you know, but so much time and money and energy and emotion that I had to give back. And so I worked with app developers and we've got a really good automated system now. So as soon as something's sold out, the maker gets a notification. On the 1st and 14th of each month, each maker gets like an inventory on hand report. So it says exactly what we've got in stock. They've also got another app which they can log in and change the dates and see how much is sold within certain timeframes and download it as a PDF. So that's really good at the end of the year or when you can work out how much is sold and it's all itemized as well. So you can see exactly what has happened. And yeah, pitching to press, we arranged cutouts for everyone. So anybody that's listening, a a cutout is a photo image of a product with the background completely removed. And it's what press love, you know, because they can layer it onto articles So we organised that for makers with a local photographer. And it's just, yeah, I just feel, I know this sounds a bit maybe over the top, but honestly, I'm I'm honoured that that so many people trust me, you know, and are
0: up for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) I think that you should be proud of that because, Mm. you know, with so many bad experiences out there, and I'm not saying that, of course, not everyone that trades us a return is not doing their part, but there is a lot of um, shops, like you say, that don't put it in the same care into promoting the brand and mm-hmm. keeping makers updated and stuff. So there's a bad taste there, I think, sometimes. So like, I agree. I think it's co- really, really cool that you have all these brands wanting to trade with you, and. It's putting their trust in you, but you mm-hmm. also putting your trust in them, right? It's a two way street. I mean, a big shop it's it's tricky sometimes because I mean, there's some people that are not very careful or customers that happen to take things. Well, no,
1: exactly, exactly. And um, the other thing that we do as well, we do. I've got another app. That, um, <laughs> this is how I this is how I manage it. It's painful all these apps. It's like an inventory stock check. So every single day we choose a maker and we stock check their work. So we know, and then we've got a separate Google sheet that all the makers have access to that we keep notes and we let them know if things have been misplaced and we've paid them for it or if it's we've got one up. And because everything is so painfully organized, we can always go right back across all our systems and find out exactly if we just added one extra to the stock. Yeah. It never actually existed and that's why it's missing. Or if actually it's been stolen and so nothing gets missed at all. Yeah. And it's partly partly for my peace of mind but also because I know makers will be like I know you've got me, you know, you're looking yeah. after my stuff and so I'll look after you. I'll keep you stocked up. I'll keep you I'll share your posts, I'll tag you in things, you know, and it's yeah, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful.
0: That's good. And when you look, find a new brand, when you come across a new brand, they contact you or if you contact them and find them somewhere else, like what makes a range stand out to you? Like what can a brand owner do to grab someone's attention?
1: Um. So I think every, every shop owner will be different, I think, and everyone looks for different things. So I think if you're approaching shops, I think first of all, I would look at the stock they currently have on hand. Maybe if you can, you know, just engage with Instagram and all that kind of stuff, if possible. And this is for like the best success. You know, it's, sometimes when you send a load of blank, you know, round robin kind of emails, sometimes that does work. So I'm not saying don't do that if your time's limited, but I think you have more of a chance if you sort of, investigate what that brand that shop already sort of supports but what stands out for me is lots of passion and lots of information about how they've made their product because unfortunately and I'm not yeah I think there's lots of makers who especially post lockdown who saw something on Etsy and have make are making their own version of yeah which is fine it's a business model you know it's yeah another another it is podcast what for another is. Day. It's always to <laughs> yeah, be yeah. there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but I am really always what stands up for me is like innovation and people using really interesting processes shapes materials and that really kind of you know on our application form it says how is your work sustainable how is it responsible what do you do with waste you know all these kind of uh yeah responsible questions and you can tell when people are just, it's really vague. Every answer is just really vague. Yeah. And the ones that stand out for me are people who are like, you know, honest, like oh, I tried this and it didn't quite work. So now I'm using this and, you know, I, I can't really give a good example, but yeah, innovation. That's what makes it stand up for me different. And also it's really simple things like in the email that I'm sent, pictures include pictures in your email because shops are normally shop owners are normally so busy and get probably 20 emails a day that even clicking through links is time consuming whereas if you have really nice images not just of your work but of your packaging because again packaging is when it's on the shelves whatever your product looks like it's you know the packaging is what's going to sell it and shop owners need to kind of think about that display um so yeah pictures of your work of your packaging and links that work that you can yes. actually click on
0: <laughs> send it to yourself first yeah test yeah. the links yeah yes <laughs> that is a good one and frustrating for anyone right and we all done it of course either send the email where we say oh look at the link here and the link is nowhere to be found you know we all done it but if you're taking the time it's try to do it <laughs> yeah exactly
1: exactly yeah. and I think it's again there was there are times I, I don't we're all short of time and I know it's hard for people to send personalized emails to every shop just I think just keep it short and sweet with all the information that you need in there and try not to send it through like MailChimp or anything like that because I delete those straight away I can tell it's from like a mail out just from the format yeah. of it and I I, just don't, I don't even open it because yeah. it feels so generic.
0: I think there's ways to personalise an email without spending hours on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you would must have done this when you were pitched to other shops, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, just the fact that it's very clear on your website that you stock mainly people made locally to Bristol. So... Even by just saying, hey, I live in Bristol and my studio is in this area of Bristol. You know, that's like at least some sort of research having been made into it, right?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. It doesn't
0: always have to be super deep because I don't think anyone has maybe the time to be no. super
1: deep. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing that I recommend as well, actually, is people following me like follow for what works for me and again just my personal approach but or opinion is if I'm get if I received an email with information and pictures and links that work and someone's following me on Instagram and keeps commenting on posts or keeps liking it I sort of notice it and then I make the connection and I'm like oh that person is that person you know and yeah it's it's what actually PR dispatch who we use for press They'd recommended that in the past. Of when you're trying to sort of get in the good books of certain journalists, you pitch Mm. to them, and then you sort of engage with them on their socials. And it's true; like it's so true. Like you start picking up these names, going, "Where have I seen that name before?" And
0: yeah, and you know, it's not even like if as long as it's public profiles, it doesn't matter. Like it's all public; you're allowed to do it, and Mm -hmm. it can make all the difference because it just shows that you actually taking the time you know you didn't say you follow this shop and you don't follow the shop or you know there's lots of things happening out there it's actually like step one in the sales funnel I have in one of my courses I think you know like after finding the details to follow them on Instagram and start engaging Mm -hmm. on a regular basis because yeah. you learn a lot of things too. You might see a post, one of your posts, and you might think, actually, my this product of mine would fit in so well with this. And maybe that's your follow-up.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the things like, I don't know, I think the bigger the shop, big the busier they are, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe not. But I just find it, the more information that a Maker can give me the easier that they can make my job. Yeah, (laughs) the better you know. So especially if makers are in their email body, they say things like, "I'd love to stock your shop. I've got professional photos of everything I've got cut." You know, and it's hard then not to. You know, it makes it so much quicker to get them on board. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, when you were saying about stocking, most people in Bristol, um. It's an interesting situation actually because when I moved to Cabot Circus, I did my first business plan and I um, did loads of market research with people that were coming into the smaller shop, uh, the original shop. And lots of people said that the reason why they don't shop, because like, I was asking what pros and cons are of shopping with independent shops. And they said, when you go to an area or a city, every single independent shop sells the same stuff Mm. and it was really interesting because I'd never really thought of that before that sometimes with a shop local you end up stocking the same pools of makers who are at the same local markets the same local shops the same local events so I started to change that a bit so we do stock Bristol makers especially if it's a Bristol product that has a Bristol like logo on it yeah I don't mind if there's double doubling up but we actually work a lot with all the shops. You know, we're a, a great team. All the local shops in Bristol, and we're yeah. always a bit in communication. Of like, are you stocking this person? Are you, do you mind if I stock them? You know, and it's yeah. it's a really nice sort of community, classic Bristol, but uh, a community conversation where we um, there are overlaps, but we just I, I'm just very, very, very sure that that we should make the offering as diverse as possible. Yeah and make it interesting for customers who are shopping in lots of different independent shops and giving the shelf space and the opportunity to um, as many makers as possible, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I also know that you have, you know, been very open about, like, challenges that small businesses have, especially with business raids and the relief thing that was happening during COVID and stuff. How is it going with that?
1: Oh, it's hard. It's really hard. I think it's it's one of those really annoying situations where. So, in in summary, because that that might help explain what's happening. Yeah, is we're a not for profit, and we took on the shopping cabot, with the understanding with my local council, that not for profits do not pay business rates, and it was on their website. It was in the letters, you know, and you had an application form that you had to fill out to to get that relief and in short they've decided to stop that relief but with no warning and it's sort of a bit catastrophic because it's so from uh, February next year we are liable for 34,000 pounds a year and it's the same as Apple pay the same as a Harvey Nix but you know it's it's 34
0: 000 yeah on top of all the other taxes and things that you pay of course exactly
1: exactly and it's just it's really and i've i've had so many meetings with the council about it and they i mean i can i'm not happy with how they've managed it because there's a little bit it is hugely irresponsible their lack of communication but there are elements that i say is potentially a little bit illegal because they haven't gone through the the right procedures from all my research of how you remove rate relief. But anyway, the, the way around it is if I register as a charity, which we're in the process of, and we're halfway there because we're a not-for-profit. We've got mm. all the deliverables, all the sort of members and arts calls of a non-for-profit and our charitable work. It's just costly to do that. But yeah. it's the best option I have for longevity of in the building because loads of people say well why don't you just downsize and move somewhere smaller which we could but the reason why we have so much I don't know that I believe in the shop so much is because we're giving shelf space to like the invisible makers you know that people who would Mm -hmm. never have that opportunity in in high like fast fashion retail you know I don't want to be sort of put in my place and you know as an as an independent and kept to the outskirts I want to carry on ch- championing like you know handmade work in the core of of retail because why shouldn't we you know like it's just not fair that we are pushed out anyway but I think the council say that it's a government from central government they used to have a budget that was sent to the local council to manage non-profits discretionary rate relief and that's been removed so they just haven't got the money but if I register as a charity how was
0: that char- funded before because I know a lot of creative arts things was EU funded right yeah maybe
1: maybe yeah I'm not sure but the, but if I register as a charity then the government it's a central government decision it's not like mm. a passing down budget it's the government's responsibility.
0: Okay. So it's not like it wouldn't change like that, then. Yeah. So it'll be, it wouldn't
1: be a council sort of trying to manage everything with a short budget, a small budget. Yeah. But yeah, I want to go further with it, if I'm honest, because it's really opened my eyes to how disproportionately rubbish <laughs> the business rate scheme is. You know, because for instance, Amazon, a warehouse, you're charged per. Like you get your base rate, which is based on the square foot, sorry, the square meter of your building. Mm. And a warehouse is charged £20 per square metre. And that's multiplied by, you know, certain amounts of your floor space. And a shopping cabot circus is charged seven hundred and eighty pounds per square metre. And it's not based yeah, per square meter. So it's not based on your your intention or your business profile or your profits or your ethos or you know and nothing like that.
0: And that it's is just, per square meter, it's not like all re on the retail space either. It's it so it, it works, it's so there's
1: like different formulas. So it works for the first six meters it's seven hundred and eighty. Mm-hmm. And for next six six metres it's like I think slightly reduced percentage of that seven hundred and eighty and it goes back and back. So it gets less and less but yeah, still but you very have high. To. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just made me think business rates are awful because it's based on the assumed use of a building rather than actually what the building's mm. used for. And when you've got businesses using Amazon as an example who are like ridiculously profitable.
0: And, and also stack, you know, what they get out of a square meter exactly. is a lot more than you get out of a square meter because they have like, I don't know, shelves that are stacked, 10 shelves up. Or pallets up <laughs> or mm-hmm. and, I, i'm i'm not actually sure if that's right but you know no, no, no
1: but yeah you're right it's util- they utilize it you know and i yeah. think if you have a small shop if your rateable value is under a certain amount i think it's 13 grand i'm not 100 sure but you don't have to pay business rates so you get so most independent shops don't pay business rates because they're too small mm-hmm. but it's just opened my eyes that actually when you're a business that wants to grow as it, yeah. as we should you know in why should independence stay as tiny little boutiques like why can't we be superstores but as soon as you grow you have these enormous bills that are completely just ridiculous you know mm. so i think at the moment i'm trying to sort of focus all my energy on registering as a charity and getting through christmas because i don't want to burn out and then it you know it affects yeah. the business but in the new year i really want to start a campaign with Parliament and just get them to review it because it's just crazy (laughs) yeah
0: Uh, for sure well like have you been in in contact with any other trade associations that are usually connected with retailers and stuff are they
1: interested at
0: all
1: yeah so there's a couple of places in bristol who are affected with the same business rates relief removal but it's they already had small ish ish places so even though there's an increase it's not thirty four thousand pounds you know Mm. and you've got the british retail consortium Mm. who i am trying to get in contact with but i mean they're a huge company so i'm trying to so basically i know that there's no point me it will be stronger if there's people already battling this yeah you know raising awareness of this argument so i can join forces with or people who are thinking about it that we can group together. So I know Holly Tucker sent an amazing letter for me that I sent to the council and Mary Porters. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. and She sent me this really supportive sort of, you know, come on camp, Bristol city council, sort this out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> letter. So I'm hoping I can touch base with both of those next year to, yeah, just see what we can do just so that, so that more independents can take over the high street, basically, because
0: mm.
1: it, it would be wonderful. There's so many vacant units and it could be filled with independents selling beautiful work for the local economy and the planet and all this kind of stuff. But we are outpriced because yeah. it's stupidly priced.
0: You know? yeah. Have you spoken to like places like Byra and that sort of thing? No, Irish British independent. British Independent Retailers Association. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I mean, I haven't been speaking to them for years. I, you know, I'm more part of like the Giftware Association now, and we do have retail members. But a buyer has more retail members. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: So, oh, thanks. Yeah, great. I
0: don't know if it. I don't know what they already, you know, what they're doing, but I know from the Giftware Association's point of view you know, our CEO goes to the, I think they're called the Genesis meetings or breakfasts, which is like with a member from the government, and it's, you know, so there's like regular meetings, and she also does Bank of England, there's a lot of, so the trade associations should be, have certain ins, I suppose, with people.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, that's interesting, I'll look that up. And there's so many Um, names that all sound similar so many organizations so many different retail association consortiums yeah
0: yeah, so many and it <laughs> gets very very confusing <laughs> I feel like when you're doing something like the way you want to do it is like you might as well contact everyone <laughs> yeah exactly
1: exactly see what what what
0: sticks <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah exactly and, um, and so I'd... how
0: about plans for your own brand because you still do have a uh, Primade and you still make stuff. Yeah, yeah. So
1: there's two. So I've been really trying to keep both afloat, which I've had to accept that it's impossible. And mm. um, I'm not closing down Primade at all, but I I decided to move into a big superstore and. Yeah. It's just an enormous amount of work. And so I'm. there's two things that are happening, which I'm really excited about. Um, so it's, you know, changes positive and all that, that prior made, I think is going to just, um, I've got a CNC machine, which is amazing, um, yeah. which is like a computer controlled, yeah, um, milling machine. So I'm going to slightly ch- reduce my range a little bit with prior made and start doing more sort of... Easy, easy, slightly easier to produce products uh, rather okay. than individual sculpted things. Yeah. Something that's just a bit more easy to execute because I've got to keep prior made going because it's my salary. The shop doesn't mm-hmm. ever have enough to pay me for, um, as a manager, so I have to keep prior made going. But what's more exciting is with prior shop all of the team are creatives and we are developing in house made products. So the staff team we're all rotating around into the workshop upstairs to produce homewares, all with like a you know, a conscious angle using either recycled or innovative, you know, processes materials and yeah so i'm getting some labels made up where it's going to say designed by and then the member of staff writes their name and made by and then the person that actually made it writes their name so this is from jewelry homewares you know all sorts of things how exciting yeah so we're going to soon have our own like prior products which is going to get hella confusing because we've got prior shop prior made products and my brand prior made is you never think about it when you use your surname, and your do name. you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think it's so easy. You're like, oh, that's, well, why not? Like, I so I when I first started my business, it's not that I wanted my like name in lights or anything. I was just like, I used materials that had a previous existence. You know, my business started with using inner tubes and uh, wood from like salvage from really interested, like, interesting locations. I'd I'd include the story of the material and where it came from with every product, Mm. and I was just like, you know, previous use, like prior. This is a great use of names here. Yeah, but yeah, I wish I'd called the shop something different because it's so confusing, especially when people buy gift cards and they always try and use the wrong gift card on the wrong website and.
0: well there's not that much you can do are people know prior shop now yeah, don't they? True. <laughs> I don't know maybe there's something you could do but um so how can people support you so one obviously shop from you but yeah. with regards to all the other work that you're doing with like putting pressure on the council and working out and the whole thing that you're hoping to do more of next year can mm-hmm. can people support you on that somehow too? Yeah, well, we've got
1: we've got a petition still going on change.org. Um, mm-hmm. the link's on my website. But if I'm honest, I mean that's it's great that to have that, um, because it builds up momentum. But I think yeah I think so yeah I think so. It's a vague answer but I think if everyone could sign that petition because what happens then is when I go to start a new one with the parliament with parliament which I need to get 10,000 signatures for yeah I can do an update to everyone who's signed the change oh yes with with a link so that would be the best way to sort of start being engaged of how to help us in the future Will help all independents in the future, and yeah, shop. We've got an amazing online shop, I love it, and we work so hard on it. And just not many people know that as an independent, we have such a big website you know, everything we stock is online.
0: Wow, everything! Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. we like, we really, really, yes, yeah, we have a whole team of us that were on the website all day and editing yeah. the banners every day, and yeah, so much of that stuff. And also, it's just we're trying to think of innovative ways. I keep using this word innovative for some reason this podcast. It's a good word. Trying to think of ways to generate income that doesn't rely on sales because sales have dropped. You know, we are running at a, loss, a little bit of a loss this year because of people being more conscious with spending, which is mm-hmm. totally understandable. But we've – so we've started – we've got a brochure now of – 50 different workshops that you can choose from and the, the approach uh is we want to approach people do, organizing christmas staff dues and staff parties oh, even birthdays hen you know that kind of stuff so we've got this really nice we've worked with yeah 50 local art uh, workshop hosts to make this brochure obviously we've got a gallery space that you can hire you can hire our space for workshops where you can attend workshops so all of that, all of that helps as well. It doesn't just have to be about the actual physical product, you know. Mm. And just sharing our shop. I mean, it's that age-old thing, yeah. isn't it? That the more awareness people have, it re- might reach people that do have disposable money, who might yeah. be the ones that make that purchase. That you know keeps us in the green, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Every little purchase, everything matters, doesn't it? So. Mm-hmm. Every little share, everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, exactly. So I will pop the petition link and obviously the link to the online shop and all your details like social media and stuff in the show notes. Thank you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming and sharing and talking about what you do. And I love how passionate you are about independent makers and keeping that artisan like all that talent alive and thriving I suppose it's really really cool so thank thank you you. so much oh no pleasure honestly it's yeah thank you it's when you yeah when you sent me an email
1: that asked me to come on here I was like oh this is amazing Yeah, and it's also nice talking to you face to face because the last time we saw each other, we was on the Studio Cotton panel where we were facing yes. the audience, and you don't actually get the chance to speak together, do you? Because you're Yeah, and there were so
0: many people <laughs> that you wanted to speak to, so I didn't actually get to speak to you that much. No,
1: exactly, exactly. Lovely. Especially being the host as well, I suppose, in the shop, yeah. that was a bit.
0: Anyway, yeah, I, I, but... I had to come back the next day to do my shopping because you know there was too many people there during the the panel talk. And I was talking to people, and I got distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't do
1: two. Yeah, I can't do two at the same time either.
0: No, I I need to shop in quiet, like without distractions.
1: Peace. <laughs> definitely no i'm with you yeah.
0: on that well thank um, you so much for coming on the podcast and if you're listening thank you so much for listening to this season and listening to this episode and uh, if you do want to share that where you're listening from tag both of us um over on instagram always fun to see and if you're watching on youtube let me know who you are I don't really know who watches it on YouTube, so Mm. it's a bit of a new thing. So let me know who you are. I want to get to know you. And then the podcast will be back next Monday, so I hope to see you then.